I intuitively sought out things that changed my state. And the more I did that, the more I felt better. And even more important than that, the more that I started to change as a person. So when I immersed myself in certain activities, certain things that caused these state changes, the more I did it, it went from, as Jamie Wheel said, altered states to altered traits. And I became a different person as a result. I am not the person that I was when I was in my teens or my 20s. I am a completely different person. And it comes from what we're talking about. That is Ted Rice. And this is episode 255 of Wellness Force Radio, where we discover the physical and emotional intelligence to live life well. Welcome back to another episode. In this conversation, I sit down live and in person with the one and only Ted Rice, the host of Legendary Life Podcast, who has become a very close friend of mine. And we did this podcast across the planet, halfway across the world in Bangkok, Thailand. I just got back about a week ago from 31 days of self-discovery and breath work and learning and Tantra and all these cool wellness modalities where I got to spend the entire day with Ted at the tail end of my journey before heading back home to the United States. And speaking of coming home, I have had quite the challenge. I don't know if you guys can relate to this. Coming home from a foreign country, adjusting to the faster pace and really the freneticism that we have here in the United States. A lot of podcasts I'm going to be publishing in the future, Wellness Force is going to be focused on really the practical strategies that all of us can do to change our physical and mental state to meet these demands of the high stress, the fast-paced living in our modern world. Because in the month of December, I was riding motorbikes around this island in Thailand called Koh Phangan doing ecstatic dance and a five-day intensive Soma breath work with Niraj Naik from episode 249, which by the way, if you haven't heard that podcast, 249 is a do not miss episode. This will be linked in our show notes for Ted. Go to episode 249 to learn more about Soma breath. It's gonna be a huge focus in the wellness industry and honestly with wellness force as a collective. But coming back to my center, It can be challenging for parents, professionals, and just human beings, men and women who, like me, are true wellness warriors. We're committed to living this life well and gathering up the emotional and the physical intelligence to do so. So I think you're really going to love this conversation with Ted because we talked about Altered States, the Legendary Life podcast, and really this gift of perspective, all three of those categories that can help us live our life more well. This was one of those rich and fun back and forth coffee shop conversations that we just happened to record on a podcast. And I think the number one thing you're going to get out of this show today that you can apply in your own life is how to exit the box life. And when I say box life, I mean the type of lifestyle where you sit in a car in a box on the way to work and then sit in a box at work and then after work, sit in a car who's a box, come home and then sit in front of a TV or a computer that's a box. (laughs) I know this is not the kind of life that you deserve or that you want. So we're going through the strategies and the reflection points that Ted and I have both learned and also some story around Ted's experience at Rhythmia Life Advancement Center in Costa Rica so that you can actually apply some of these things to your life. I'll share personally about the things I've learned in Asia that I'm instituting now at home back in America. And Ted will share his experience of overcoming adversity, why he left Miami to be a digital nomad, how using plant medicine through the lens of personal growth and also altered states of consciousness has allowed him to increase his love, specifically with his father, but also in his life 
We talk about the rise of consciousness. And this is a really fascinating point in the conversation about the middle part where we understand how to connect with our tribe and use some of these altered states to up-level our vibration, the energy that we bring to the world so we can live our life well. And living life well is almost impossible unless we're feeding this physical body, this meat suit with the right nutrition. So this is why our podcast is sponsored by Organifi. My friends right here in San Diego, the creators of the ashwagandha-infused green juice. Now I'm doubling down in January and February on my green juice. I've been a huge fan of the red with the cordyceps, but lately, since I got back from Thailand, I've been feeling more stress in general, just getting used to the faster American pace. So this ashwagandha that's infused in the green juice has been scientifically proven to assist the human body in adapting to higher levels of stress. But it's not the only adaptogen in this green juice. There's also turmeric, red beets, and spirulina, and a host of other deep down mitochondrial energizing ingredients. I mean, think of this green juice, really, as the most powerful replacement to take the place of a 2 p.m. coffee. <laughs> I've fallen down this road many times, right, where my energy's wavering in the afternoon and the coffee seems so enticing like a muse in the ocean. Yet really what my body wants is nutrition from the inside out. And that's what you get through this adaptogen-rich green juice. You can get it for less than a few bucks a day. Just go to Organifi.com forward slash wellness force. You could save 20%. You won't find that discount bigger anywhere else. Save 20% with code wellness force at Organifi.com forward slash wellness force to get 20% off the juice and everything else. So you can live your life well, which is what we're discovering here on this episode with Ted Rice. Let's dig in live in a person halfway across the planet in Bangkok, Thailand. Now here I am sitting in your place in Bangkok, Thailand, after we just went out and had like an amazing night at a Michelin restaurant uh, and then a 30-minute foot massage. So I'm, I'm like really grateful. I'm in this phase of my life where I'm just feeling in incredibly grateful uh, to be able to do this. Uh, do you ever feel like that, man? Like you get to be this person that leads conversations. Uh, you get to travel the world. This is not something that comes to everyone. It comes from a really deep place of inspiration because it's not like an easy lifestyle. It has its benefits and its perks, but it's not necessarily like the easiest lifestyle. You've been out here for a year, right? Yeah. And, and you're bringing up a super important point. I think a lot of times we look at things like a lot of people look at my life and how I've been traveling through Asia. And then I was in the States and in New York City and then in Costa Rica yeah. and then back in Bangkok. They're like, wow, that's so impressive. That's so, it's like you don't see the adjusting to time zones all the craziness with the flights and coordination and yeah. adjusting things and all the trouble and ending up in a place like right now, we rented a place that was on the more expensive range of what was available. And it turned out to be one of the worst, smallest, tightest places ever, for example. Yeah. But the, we're, we're the, in like a pantry. <laughs> <laughs> we're in like a pantry right now. In fact, yeah. we're going to cut the Airbnb short because it's just too much. And oh. the, the internet goes in and out sometimes. And, and that was like the last straw for us. We we're yeah. like, oh, we can hack it a little bit here, even though it's a, a bit tight. And it, it is a nice building. But um, coming back to your point, it has to do with congruence. Do you feel it or not? Like you talked to me uh, the other day, or yesterday rather, about some of the people who are in this business who you feel like they're doing it as, oh, I do interviews as a marketing strategy. Yeah, It's not a mission. This isn't marketing for me. It's a mission. Yeah. And I know that's the same for you too. Yeah. And if you're wondering like, oh, 
what is the right thing for you to do. It has to do with that that concept. Are you congruent with it or not? Because if you are, you can overcome any obstacle. Mm. But if you're not, the smallest thing kicks your ass. Yeah, man. This alignment versus the hustle. I did a five days of breathing we were talking about, yeah. uh, the breath work at the island, the Copanyan Island with the Soma crew. And I was like going through the first three days and we were doing this intention setting while in state with breathing. And my deepest intention that underlies every tangible goal is me not hustling in 2019, like intermittent hustling, but more aligning. And like you said, congruence. Because man, if I'm out of alignment with something, if something doesn't feel right in my nervous system or in my conscious mind or my subconscious mind, I'm going to either knowingly or unknowingly sabotage it. And, and I've experienced that in my life where whether it's health or business or relationships, if something isn't deeply aligned in my soul, it doesn't work out. <laughs> and it's, it almost takes a soul inventory, like an emotional inventory. And I feel like that's really what this journey for me has been these 30 days. This has been, man, sitting here with you on your couch, has this is marking the most special phase of my life to date. Uh, these past 30 days in Thailand, being able to see how other people live, see how other cultures operate, um, going through the challenges of traveling like you were talking about. It's been the ultimate proving ground. And I think I'm going to go back to America with just a deep well of even more gratitude than when I left, just to see how other people live, man. Do you feel like traveling brings out the gratitude in people? Maybe they have to have the right mindset, but what has traveling done for you, man? Such a great point. And the thing is, it depends on how you do it. Yeah. If you're in the five-star resorts or whatever, it's just a resort removed from the local culture. Yeah. And you're with everyone who speaks English because they're all from, you know, in, in the case here, Thailand, there's not as many Americans. It's more British and Australians uh, who are the English speakers. And then all the staff is speaking English. So you don't really need to step your game up too much. You're probably not going to grow a lot from that. But if you immerse yourself in the culture like I have, like you have, and walk the streets of Bangkok that aren't so pretty or being in Kopangan in the areas that maybe you wouldn't have gone to if you were just stuck in an all-inclusive resort, yep. that's when you grow. You see how people live. And to answer your question, what it's done for me personally, I believe that whatever culture you're in, and we're both Americans, so we have like the American perception, no matter how many books we read or how educated or worldly we think we are, or I spent two weeks here or one week there. Yeah. And, um, it, once you get out, you start to detach from that perspective and it allows you to see things in a whole new way. Maybe that sounds cliche, but the the impact is so powerful. You start to, like you said, you, you have more gratitude. Yeah. You see, like, instead of saying, in, instead of reading something, and this is something I'm very passionate about, because in our culture, we, we have this myth of hyper-rationality and, um, and rugged individualism, right? And we try to use the power of our rational mind to read articles and read things and have that affect some type of transformation, some state change, or sometimes it works. Most of the time it doesn't. Yeah. But when you see like what we've seen, these, these people in Thailand working so hard and like we were coming back at 1130 at night and people were like packed into this, this truck. I've been working all day and, and the, 
people make 10 bucks a day here yeah for working like 12 hour days it's insane and um I, you get a little first world guilt you're like wow i i didn't know how amazing i've i've had it dude this reminds me we have a similar friend john vroman and he reminded me of this phrase um perspective is the ultimate giver of gifts wow this perspective yeah. and perspective here man it really pulls out the appreciation for the good things that we have in america yeah i mean let's face it capitalism isn't perfect I don't think any economic model with human design is perfect right now, but God, we have sanitation. We have viable roads that don't fall. And, you know, we have meat that's refrigerated with laws. The chickens aren't hanging out in the window. (laughs) I was in the grocery store in (laughs) Copanyan and there was like raw chicken just sitting out with no cover. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this might've been why I got food poisoning three times while I was out here. So there's certain things that I'm I'm really going to be grateful for, be extra grateful for this power of gratitude when I go home. And um, I caught myself a few times last year being a victim, you know, like, oh my God, this is so stressful. My technology piece doesn't work. (laughs) What's going on with my neighborhood? The leaf blower outside is too loud. And it's like, it's so easy for my monkey mind to get addicted actually to these thought patterns that it's like, it's not that big of a deal. It's Mm. really not that big of a deal. Coming out to a a traveling uh, episode for like 30 days, it showed me, I think what it really showed me was the world is such a massive place. And anytime that I'm stuck in a moment where I feel like uh, I'm a victim or things are so hard, all I have to do is take a deep breath and shift my perspective to how these people live out here or how people, this isn't even that bad actually. There's places in the world that are way worse. You were telling me about Vietnam. What's up with Vietnam? Vietnam is insane. So it's probably 20 years behind Thailand. And for those of you who haven't been to Thailand, I mean, it's a wonderful place. There are a lot of issues with it, Yeah, but it's a wonderful place. It's very comfortable. The people are very tolerant. Some people have bad times here, but that's usually because they end up in a purely tourist area. And then, of course, people are going to eventually realize, oh, tourists, the exchange rate is just insane. Let's try to get more money out of them. Let's try to hustle them. Let's try to scam them. Yeah. But it doesn't happen that much here, really, in yeah. Thailand. And in Vietnam, it's just, uh, it's, it's was recently opened up maybe a couple decades ago, maybe 20 years ago, because the government's communist and you really get the feeling there because you arrive in Saigon or Ho Chi Minh, uh, sorry, Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City is the same thing, but yeah. or Hanoi, the two major cities in, in Vietnam, and you see these big posters of Ho Chi Minh, the, uh, the liberator of Vietnam. You also see, being American, by the way, you also see a lot of, they're, they're very proud over their victory of the US and at the same time they're not attached to the war and what it did to them like Americans are for, for for Americans Vietnam war was a big deal but in Vietnam they were under a thousand years of occupation by the Chinese mm. and then the French occupation by the French it was French Indochina then the Japanese took over in World War 2 and according to 
the government in Vietnam, millions of people starved to death because of the Japanese appropriating all the, the, the rice and, and the food. And then it was back to the French after the Allies won, won uh, World War II. And then the American War happens after it. So the, the American War with Vietnam was just a little blip. And so they have this troubled history, but right now the, the economy is just booming. But you go over there to, to talk about the, how it feels on the street. Yeah. In Thailand, there's plenty of places to walk. I mean, you and I have been walking all over Bangkok, and it's really like that everywhere I've Man, been. Some parts of Bangkok are like Las Vegas. They have like right. Prada and Louis Vuitton. I'm just like, where are we again? The malls are insane. Yeah. <laughs> and we didn't even really go up and down to really check them out because it wasn't, uh, it was just, I wanted to show you a brief glimpse of it. Yeah. But in Vietnam, man, there's no place to walk on the sidewalks because people park their motorbikes there and it's just you're walking in the street and motorbikes are coming very close to you. Again, it's about maybe 20 years behind mm. in terms of that. And they're very, in one way, they learn more English than Thai people in general. But at, on the other side, there's people who really hustle you. And if you're in the wrong mindset, you can get rubbed the wrong way by it. I like feel, Giselle had some tough situations with uh, a fruit lady. Oh, with a fruit lady? Well, she's just- I didn't know the fruit ladies could be so they're cunning. They're just like, <laughs> I know, it's crazy. And the fruit people here in Thailand, they're like, you're you're paying 20 baht, which is like 66 it's cents nothing. for a thing of fruit. It's insane. Yeah. And so you're buying all this fruit. They're very respectful. And if you give them too much money, they'll give it back to you. In Vietnam, um, it's going to be more like, you're not going to see that money they're not going to give you the change mm. type of situation. So it's a great place to go for the experience. But if it's your first time in Southeast Asia, definitely come to Thailand. Man, Thailand's beautiful. And the people here are loving and kind and open. And there's just a slower pace of life. Now, granted, you could argue on one side, oh, well, the reason the, the pace of life is slower is because they spend most of their day doing all these activities that maybe are challenging and they've just gotten used to this slower pace of life because they're more connected to each other. I think I feel like when human beings go through hardship or struggle or adversity, it really bonds them. I, I know I felt yeah, this, man, of last, last year when I was at Rhythmia and the Mark Divine event and even this breathwork event, anything I've done with a group, a core group of people it really bonds me in friendship, energetically bonds me to them. Do you feel like this too? Like, have you done things with groups of people? I know we're going to talk about your Rhythmia experience, man, but but the the core group of people that you have been through experiences with, it energetically connects you to them. I believe that 100%. And more importantly than believing it, you feel it happen. You feel the barriers break down, the ego, that the, the persona that we put up starts to dissolve. And you see, because they're they're puking or huffing and puffing or struggling with what they're doing. I mean, I haven't done the Unbeatable Mind event, but I've seen the videos. I saw yeah. the video of you going through it in the running and the Did being you see where Mark night. Devine was pouring ice water on my back on my birthday? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're all suffering together. And it, yeah. that goes back to the point I was making about Western culture and like that rugged individualism. Because I say, oh, well, I'm, I'm this guy and you're that guy. And here's what I'm better than you uh, you know, we always compare, right? And you see that right now on Instagram. And some people are, you know, looking down at people. Some people are looking up to people. But when you get in that type of experience, it really shows you how similar everyone else is. Yeah, and who you are. It's yeah. a, it's a connector to uh, a self identity, and that self identity can be stripped away. Yeah, because I think that's what people are really looking for is just finding who they are. 
That's, I think that's one component. There's maybe four components of why I went on the travel. And one of them was, who am I when things are hard? We're like, where do I go? In you my, mean your Thailand trip? My or? Thailand trip. Okay. And just, I think traveling in general for the rest of my life, like this has sparked a passion for me, which really, man, I was inspired by you a year ago. I remember I was driving on the freeway with my earbuds and you, when we were talking, you're like, you know what, man, I'm going to get the fuck out of Miami. <laughs> I am leaving Miami. I do not like these people that drive their Lamborghinis and, and you know, have perfect bodies and, and fake molded inject this and that. And I was inspired by you. I was inspired by you leaving this normalcy, you know, this huge training career you built there and your business out there. And then when I actually pulled the trigger on my ticket, I, I did. I felt a little bit of fear. Like, did you feel? Excellent. Uh, and that's when I knew I was on the right path. Because going back to these like three or four things that I wanted to have traveling, one of them was where do I go when things are hard? What can I learn about myself by putting myself in a new environment? Like a true N equals one. Did you feel the fear when you first made the the trip out to Asia? Because you sold everything you owned, right? You put it in storage. I felt apprehension, fear, nervousness going to Rhythmia. I did not feel it going to Asia. And there's a very important reason why. I was so low in Miami that there was no way. People are like, hey, you haven't been to Thailand before? Nope. But you're moving there? All my clients would ask that. And I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm going. They're like, whoa, you're my hero. And it's like, not really. I'm so beaten down. And so like, I, I didn't talk about this, but I was so low. I felt like my soul was being crushed every day. And I went through the grind and I showed up to my clients and I did the best that I could. I showed up the best that I could, but I inside was miserable. I was really miserable. The podcast thing wasn't going the way that it was going well, but we weren't monetizing it properly because I thought it would just be an easier transition to get out of personal training. So I was still stuck. I I was learning. I I had this dual life. I was interviewing people and I felt on top of the world. I was helping my coaching clients. They were getting great results. We were building this connection. They were having transformations, breakthroughs on top of the world. Then I go train my clients. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with my clients or personal trainer or whatever. Yeah, we need trainers. It was me. Yes. It was just, again, like what we were talking about. I wasn't aligned with it anymore, but I was like, it was so out of alignment for me dragging me back down. And I just was living this dual life where I was on top of the world. And then I was at so low, Mm. you know, and again, it was mostly internal. My clients weren't treating me bad or doing anything. And, but, but I felt so bad that trend that I needed to get out of it. I needed to escape. Dude, what do you think it was then? Like, what was the deepest splinter in your soul about training? What was it? It wasn't about training. It wasn't a deep splinter that was about training. It oh. was, I have this mission to do. I've got this, this story, which we can you know, talk about uh, later in Rhythmia. I yeah. feel, felt like, oh, I'm, a, I'm really attached to this story yeah. a little bit. And, and people help me stay attached to it by telling me how inspiring my story is. But it was that I wasn't, I wasn't living my mission. I had to go back and do something to pay the bills instead of, I was just doing it for paying the bills. Mm. And my clients, while they weren't negative people, they saw the transformation happening. And my client even offered to give me the down payment to buy some property in Miami. Uh, Cause he was like, you gotta buy property. You gotta own property. It's one thing. And he's like, 
he's got a Ferrari worth $8 million and that's one of his, he's got a Ferrari collection and a bunch of other cars and houses. And wow. so, so maybe my investment portfolio might not be the same as him, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, he's telling me to do this thing and I'm, I'm looking at some of my friends who have a house or, or an apartment in, in Miami and there's, it's a pain in the ass. It, 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 uh, it's a, it tethers you to a location. And I wanted to be, I wanted my freedom, man. And I wanted the freedom also to step up into what I know is my mission in life, which is to get out there, have conversations with you. Like right now, yeah. this is what I'm about. And I wasn't able to do that. And, and the more, more I was being taken away from that, the more it was just hurting me inside. Yeah. That it's almost like the seed for the dream is planted. And then maybe our goal in life is to navigate the weeds in the garden so that the seed that was planted by our soul, maybe as a little kid, so that it actually grows. There was a moment actually in this um, intention setting when I was on the island and we were doing breathing. We were experiencing this um, 20 minutes actually of intermittent hypoxia. And the instructor was like, when you were six years old, what made you the happiest? What made you the most excited? What made you the most enthralled about life? What gave you the deepest sense of curiosity and joy? And he's like, go there right now. And I was doing a breath hold. And as I exhaled, I snapped. I had this vision of me sitting right by the park, right by Murray Manor Elementary School. I could feel the wood slats on my leg. And I just went to this place of, I've always wanted to be a connector. In my whole life, all I ever wanted was from a little kid from six years old, I just wanted to make sure that other people around me were okay. But the one part that was missing is that I, was, I didn't know at that time, and my work as an adult has been to make myself okay mm. in, in myself, my soul, my energetic body, my physical health, my mental health. Because without that, people can sense it. I think we all can relate. Like We're around someone and we just love the way we feel when we're around them. Yeah. They're so calm. They're so grounded. Maybe they're on point and on mission in life. And people are magnetized to those individuals. And I think that's what I sensed when I was six. I always wanted to make sure my exterior environment, the people, the family, the friends, we're having a good time. We're sharing love. We're sharing joy. And that's why I dig being a connector now. I'm like you, man. My mission is to have these high-level conversations that actually matter, that in some way, maybe just a blip on the radar, uh, make the world a better place. And I think it was really having these states where we go through, whether it's plants or breath work or float tanks and all these different states and tools, they bring people there. But people are so afraid. There's there's so much fear around, oh my God, you you want me to sit in a cold tank you want me to drink a plant medicine? You want me to hold my breath? Like, what the hell is going on? What do you feel about states in general? Like, how has this helped you? I, I'm, I'm actually curious for you, man, because you're really healthy. Like, you're in your 40s, right? I'm about to be 42. 42. Yeah. And you're, like, super healthy. You are leading this life where you get to have freedom. You've cultivated this um, inner calmness, this, this directiveness. Have you used states? Have you used state training beyond uh, strength training to actually achieve this this clarity? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's one that the implications of this question have importance for everyone listening right now. Yep. Because there are a lot of people who, like I mentioned before, we try to use the power of our minds. We listen to a podcast or read a book, and we're looking for that transformation. And sometimes it happens. Like, I really, honestly, sincerely hope that the person listening to this right now is feeling a state change. But far too often, 
even if we get it from something like that, it's not a big state change because then you get to work and, oh, by the way, here's your curriculum or here's your which what you need to do today. And, boom, and then you it get pulls lost. You right, it pulls you right back to the same pulled, bullshit. Exactly. The same mental loops. So the, the thing that I learned or a thing I started doing intuitively to heal from all the trauma that I've been through that started with my schizophrenic mother. I know we both have uh, a commonality there yep. with our, our mentally ill mothers. That started there and just gradually got worse with uh, my brother being murdered. And I intuitively sought out things that changed my state. And the more I did that, the more I felt better. And even more important than that, the more that I started to change as a person. So in other words, we just talked about how the person may feel good listening to this, but then they go to work and they get pulled out of it. And so they had that moment of that state change, but then it was gone. But what I noticed is when I immersed myself in certain activities, certain things that caused these state changes, the more I did it, it went from uh, as Jamie Wheel said, altered states to altered traits. And I became a different person as a result. I am not the person that I was when I was in my teens or my 20s. I am a completely different person. And it comes from what we're talking about. Yeah. All these things, all the work, whether it's exercise or breath work or plant medicine or traveling, I think is one of the most powerful things. It's if a you're, state change of its own. Absolutely. You're like, whoa. <laughs> what the hell did I sign up for yeah. right now? <laughs> Where am I? This is different. And it, uh, it really makes you come alive. Your yeah. turns on your brain and you got to ah, solve problems. This is, this is such a good point, man. Um, getting outside of the regular box living, which mm. is like, uh, and I've heard this, I think it was George Carlin that actually talked about this, the comedian. He's like, Americans, we're all box life. We sit in a box to go to work. And then we eat lunch out of a box at work. And then we sit in a box when we work. And then we drive a box home to watch a box when we get home. It's box living. <laughs> right. And it's Love so that. funny because going outside of the box is, I think, where people feel really alive. Mm. I think that's what actually gives us the juice of living. And, and sometimes that juice of living is only experienced through like a piercing sword of adversity because that's what makes the gratitude flow out. And I've, I've had a lot of state changes over the past three years, man, more, more than probably in my whole life. I'm 38 now, and my life really started to turn as soon as I dove into my fear and launched Wellness Force. Um, and I've talked about this a few times, but I was fired from that box life in 2014, 2015. I was fired from it, and it was the most beautiful gift. It was the most beautiful gift because it was I didn't expect it. And it was uh, where the universe pushed me against the wall. And, and I, at that time, didn't know what the universe felt like, really, because I hadn't explored what the universe was deeply yet. But I can flash back and be like, oh, that was the moment where the universe asked me, what do I really want? Mm. Like, what the fuck do I actually want for my life? And I think so many of us go through life without ever actually knowing, like a deep knowing of what it is we truly want. Because we're so distracted by the bills, the responsibilities, and, and what you and I just talked about where somebody will feel the truth in a moment, then as soon as they go back to the box life, they're completely distracted and they lose that sense of life in a different state. Uh, do you feel like 
the next level for you is to continue on this state path of changing state and and figuring out what this state change lifestyle might be. I just made that up, state change lifestyle. State ch- hashtag state change lifestyle. That's a long hash, but it, it might work. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know, man. Like I'm, I'm going to leave tomorrow, and I'm curious what your life's going to look like from a state change perspective and from a personal development perspective in 2019. Like, What's that you look mean, like? mean my life? Yeah, you personally. Well, you gave me this beautiful gift of going to Rhythmia. And uh, I think I was on a pretty good path to begin with, having spent nine months in Asia. In fact, when you presented me with this opportunity to go, this idea of going there, I did not want to go. I was like, oh, I don't know, Josh. And, you know, I felt connected with you. And I, and I said this before when people were asking me to do a video about the experience. And I said, you know, I, I felt like there was a, a different... a, a a disconnection of like, you know, some of the words that you use, the soul, the universe. And I didn't really connect. I I was got too caught up in the words you were using instead of the actual communication, what you were, the message you were trying to say. Yeah. And for me, I'm like, "Ah, I don't think Josh kind of gets where I'm at. I mean, I've been meditating and hanging out in Thailand and Buddhism and feeding elephants and giving them mud baths and really just exploring an ancient culture and just soaking it in at a very deep level. And so I was like, well, uh, I I don't know. I don't know if I want to dredge up the past because I have a long history of psychedelic use. I was heavily involved in, in that scene in my teenage years. In fact, I sold LSD which I've never talked about before, Uh, but it it was a brief thing but it, it led me to these experiences that ultimately I wanted, I was listening to Terrence McKenna at that time. I wanted to become a neuroscientist at that time. I wanted to learn about ethnobotany and neuropsychopharmacology. I just thought there was something there. I was reading maps when it was printed in a in a like a, a, a magazine oh, yeah. type of thing. They don't even do that anymore, yes, yeah. I, I would imagine. But it was like a a, a a real life newsletter. Like a pamphlet. A pamphlet, yeah. yeah. And they had all these studies and it was super fringe. Now it's not at all. Now we have like uh, the author, Michael Pollan, going on the Colbert show talking about psychedelic mushrooms. Exactly. How to change your mind. Now it, it's like commonplace. A huge awakening happen, happening. And um, I decided to go because the quote came up to me from uh, Joseph Campbell that the, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. And it came to me when I was thinking about going and feeling the fear. And I talked to Dr. Uh, Jeff, the medical director at Rhythmia, and he put he he uh, made me feel comfortable uh, comfortable about the you know physical implications of yeah, taking this stuff because the science is important to you, as it should be to everyone, actually. Yeah. When also like I didn't want to have like some hypertensive crisis or totally. any type of event. I think caring about your safety, especially. If you're a parent, which is not my case, but my brother is dead, my sister is dead, I'm the only living uh, child that my dad has. It would be irresponsible for me to just say, oh, well, put, go out to the jungle and drink jungle juice where there's no safety or medical uh, yeah. you know, supervision and have a problem and end up dying. And then where's that leave my dad? It would be... Un, 
it, it would irresponsibly selfish for me to do that. But after I talked to Dr. Jeff, I went in, I was like, you know what, this is, I'm, I'm going to do this. And I had resistance. And you, you even said you watched my first video and I, I didn't feel connected to the people yeah. there, especially and partly why that happened was because uh, they throw you into the group that's just went through the experiences there Saturday and Sunday that they leave on Saturday and Sunday. So there's intermingling and you're listening. You're like, oh my God. What are these people talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> D- don't want any of that. Or yeah, what yeah, did yeah. I sign up for? Right. And then you realize, I, I thought some of those people could have been a little bit cooler and like, hey, listen, it sounds crazy, but you're going to be okay. It's a, there, there was this kind of elitism a little bit, mm. which I find in a lot of the, the more spiritual kind of people. Yeah. It wasn't bad. Right. Well, they had just gone through an incredible threshold of healing, and maybe they were just saturated in kind of the new state that they felt. Yeah. You know, thinking about states. But it, we're all on the journey, man. Some of us are more classy in these stages of journeying than others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they just felt disconnected from us and they didn't know how to deal with it. And it's so powerful. And, and, and of course, like, you know, it, it's cool, but it didn't, uh, what the point is, it didn't help with like getting there and feeling like, oh, I made the right decision. But I was there and uh, I started meeting the people. I, I actually left a table. I got up and walked to another table with some of the people who I had met and who were just beginning the journey. And man, the the point is, it just led to a a transformation, a a healing on the emotional, even physical, and maybe most importantly for me, spiritual level. Because you said you've always thought of me as a spiritual person. I've felt that way in a way, but I haven't really been that connected to it. If you're well, how are you spiritual? I I don't know. I, I don't. I don't really feel, I didn't feel it. So I'm glad you felt it, but I didn't feel it. I felt up here in my mind, yeah, I'm a spiritual person, but then I was like, do I really feel that's the truth? And the answer would be no. Mm. But whoa, everything changed for me yeah. after that. Do you feel like, um, and I totally want to share whatever you're willing to share, because I know it's like a very sensitive and uh, very intimate process, but do you feel like the medicines of sorts will be possibly a check-in for you later in life. Do you think I can't you'll... wait to go back to Rhythmia. Yeah. And I'm considering doing a, a like Rhythmia is the place I think Westerners in general should start. I think so too. You should not go out to... Do not go to the jungle and lay next to, to a boa jungle. constrictor. Yeah, exactly. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. You'll think, oh man, that's a, that's a crazy hallucination. No, yeah. it's actually real. Well, and actually this, this goes to a point when, when any human being is experiencing a place where they might want to do medicine or just state changes in general, there's great practitioners and then there's okay and maybe like unsafe practitioners. And I think the vetting that you did is so intuitively perfect. The vetting that all of us get to do whenever we do a state change or a medicine or anything, it has to feel good. We have to have some piece of our body and our mind that trusts what we're about to do. Otherwise, I mean, that's why we have this rational and irrational fear wired into our brain. If something doesn't feel in my body correct, that's different than if my mind is telling me that I'm afraid. Whenever I do something with a little bit of fear, I know I'm on the right path. But if I'm feeling like a deep washing of of, uh, fear about something, that for me is more of a rational fear. Um, Did you have a, a fear that almost pulled you away from it? Or did you know once you had c- gathered the evidence and collected enough knowledge that, that it was going to be the right path for you? 
Yeah. You, you mean, did I feel like I was going, what, some of my rational fears were yeah, going like to happen? What, what was the messaging that was coming up? Like, what were the messages that said, I'm not going to go to Costa Rica and drink this plant medicine? Like that. So I was thinking, of, like, from my previous experiences with LSD, psilocybin, mescaline, I, I, I know what happens. They're all similar. Although ayahuasca is very different, it's got a lot of similarities. And, and to be honest, I, I, I mean, it's mushrooms or probably second, but ayahuasca is just, wow, what a powerful, what a powerful medicine. Cause it really is. If used in that context yeah. of, of the ceremonies that go on in Rhythmia and, and other places, it is medicinal in its effects. And it sounds weird to say it in English, I think, and it turns a lot of people off, but that is what the translation of the word in the many different indigenous dialects, that's what they call it, and that's what they call it in Spanish. And so it makes sense, although it sounds a little cheesy sometimes, at least to me and probably the other kind of skeptical, yeah, skeptically minded people, but it, it really is the appropriate word. So what came up? Do I want to dredge up? I, I, since for those people who haven't heard my interviews with you before, you know, I was in, my mother was schizophrenic. She had a postpartum psych after my sister was born, emotionally and physically abused me. That sent me down a weird road where yep. I was awkward, nervous, anxious, fearful of the world. Things kind of got better, but then I was in my, with my dad, living with my dad and my stepmother, who were both attorneys, but were high-performing alcoholics. That made it a very stressful, terrible situation, especially with my sister and I, who had been through so much trauma. And even for my little brother, who was born for my stepmom and, and, and my father, and, uh, but still, it's trauma to have my, my little brother. I remember him calling my stepmom, his mother, a monster after drinking. So who wants to watch their mother become a monster? I mean, yeah. I couldn't imagine what he was going through because I was older and I had, I'd already dealt with my monster mother, you know, <laughs> hmm. had a bit more perspective about it. But then he was kidnapped and murdered when I was 19, something that blew up Miami. Every, in fact, at Rhythmia, people were, were there from Miami. Three people were there from Miami and two in particular, we got talking and she was saying, Oh, I'm from my, I'm like, she said something about Santeria and we're talking about shamanism. I was like, oh, are you Cuban? And she's like, oh yeah. And I'm like, oh, cool. I'm from Miami. And then the, it naturally led to that conversation about my wow. brother, Jimmy Rice. And if you Google Jimmy Rice, oh, only do that if you uh, want to, <laughs> if you're ready to go down a very dark, yeah. uh, soul uh, crushing, painful rabbit hole because uh, there's not anybody who reads that story and doesn't have an effect from it. Yeah. So that happened. Then my sister committed suicide at the end of 2013. And it's just like, do I want any of that to come up? Do I want to deal with any of that? I've been dealing with it so much. Do I want to deal with any of that? And, uh, and most of it did come up, but I was worried about that. And, but the thing that worried me the most was the physical effects and what I said about my, uh, I guess, dedication to my father, my being responsible with my life for my father. He's got to die before me. He cannot be the other way around. It cannot, he cannot, uh, it, 
unless, meaning if there's anything that I can do in my power, right? We don't have the ability to control when we die or when we not, but we do have the ability to make choices that put us into high-risk situations or not. And so I was unwilling to do that. But once I found out it's not really a high-risk situation, there's these 70-year-old people who are going there (laughs) out of shape, overweight. (laughs) If they can do it, I'm, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. My heart's in particular. There, there's people be that okay. go there. I was in ceremony and there were people that were extremely obese. And I thought to myself, you know, isn't this going to hurt them? And right. no, it's actually going to heal them. Right. That's the whole point of it all. It's, it's almost like the things in life that sometimes are the most good for us, the most healing for us. The logical mind is so afraid of them whether it be exercise or plant medicine or healthy foods, like there's this fear of the discomfort because there's the threshold, man. You you went through this massive threshold to know that the, all these things had happened, all this trauma had happened for you. And then you get to Rhythmia. I can only imagine because I had my stories. I had my stuff come up too. We haven't had a chance to talk yeah, about that. We I had my stuff come up too. And, and I, I think what stops people from doing talk therapy, plant medicine, um, breathing, holotropic breathing, and anything that'll get down into the meat, that'll actually get down to the real fucking truth. I think what scares people the most is what they're going to find. What's actually down there? Because so much of our society in America, um, coffee and pornography and even overuse of marijuana or shopping habits, just overworking. Alcohol, alcohol eating, workaholism, all the isms, right? There's so much that distracts people from the deep down truth from what's really going on that I think people don't want to go there. And, and I, I can understand for you, man, cause we've done, I think this will be the fourth time that you've been on wellness force. I think the third or fourth time. Wow. And so people already know that the trauma that you've experienced, and I'll definitely, I'll definitely link this in our notes today because I can really sense that the people that go through the most trauma and the people that have the most struggle, if they choose, like if they actually choose to use that trauma, then they can have a greater capacity to heal others and to be there for other people. The analogy I've, I've seen, I forgot where I read this, is like the adversity and the trauma is the universe pulling back the arrow. And then when you let the arrow go, you shoot way farther, but you have to choose to actually let the arrow go at some point. Great analogy. What? Yeah. Like what, what actually happened, man? Cause I haven't, I haven't talked to you about this. Like when you got there that first night, what, what was it? Well, the first night was just arriving there and not much happened, but the second night was Sunday night. I arrived there on Saturday. The Sunday night, I did breath work. And I am a very skeptical person, but a true skeptic, because a lot of people aren't really skeptics. You're a healthy skeptic. Con their, yeah, and, and I believe it's a true skeptic, because I think a lot of people just have are prejudiced against anything that doesn't fit with their their view of how things should work. And, and you mentioned people are afraid of what they might find deep down inside. I think that's the case for some people, but I think there's also another level of people who, if it's just so outside, it, they're so entrenched in the mindset of the culture that they're in that just anything outside of it, they're prejudiced against. And we have this, this bias of uh, rationality instead of like experience. And so, so anyway, I was open. I was there, I was open. So I went to the breathwork ceremony. 
Did not expect much to happen. People were telling me they cried because there was a breath work ceremony on Saturday night, but I was feeling awful from the night before. And long story, not no need to get into it, but just uh, really sleep deprived, and I, I felt like I needed to go to bed. <laughs> it was funny because I was like, "Dude, uh, make sure you go out there on full sleep." Because you asked you me, said that. Yeah, you asked me like, "How'd you yeah. prepare to go to Rhythmia?" And I was like, "Well, if I could do it all over again, I would have not had a ten-hour layover sleeping on the floor in Miami airport." Exactly. Yeah. And you were so right about that because uh, even though they do try to break you down during, no need to show up that way. No need to show up tired. And there is a, a level that I think is healthy and then it starts to become not healthy. I never got to the unhealthy, but I could see how it could happen, especially yeah. if you were you know, doing a lot of drugs or drinking. That's or- why there's a dieta. That's why there's, there's an, uh, a process to prepare for any kind of state change, especially medicine. Yeah. Prepare your body, prepare your mind. Yeah, there's a absolutely. Process. And so we got into that breathwork ceremony and I started doing it and I followed the directions 100%. I was there to give it a a try and experience whether it worked or not or just to see what happened because I love experimentation. And I hope, I have hope that things will work. I'm looking for things that work. I think we need to find things that work and things that work for everyone or work for the greater majority of people, not just the people who have who are more susceptible to suggestion, like go to faith healing and, and have the preacher lay his hands on you and, yeah. and get healed, which may work for some people, yep. but it's not going to work for a lot of people. It's not going to work for me. So it's really important that guys like us do figure these things out and share them. So I'm there. I'm doing the breath work, doing the breathing. I started to feel a little lightheaded. Started to feel a little tingly. Started to feel like sexual energy come up. And those led to thoughts. And then I started realizing the sexual energy for me, I connected it, at least in that experience, in that moment, with a desire to have children. I'm forty, about to be 42, and I don't have children. And I deeply desire, I think I'd be an amazing dad, even though I've got some issues to clean up. I really do want to have that. And if I don't have kids... My DNA is dead. It's a dead end. Yeah. Not that it's in one way so horrible because you can always adopt, but I, I really feel like I want to have a version of me uh, for whatever reason. That's the way I feel. Um, everything else I would say around that would be a rationalization. It's a feeling. So that came up. And then I thought about my wife who, you know, we have a, a, a really difficult relationship because we work together, we live together, we've struggled together. And I've started thinking about all the struggle that I've had and just what we've been through together and how we've overcome and how we made it out to Asia. And I just started weeping and I started weeping more and it just kept going and going. And for those of you who haven't been to Rhythmia, which actually I met someone who came there from you, Caroline. Oh, Caroline. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And uh, we had to talk about you and why she was there. And so I started crying and someone came. People were there. People are there all times during these these sessions yeah. to help you. And people came over and laid their hands on me and it helped calm down the crying. But then I started crying more. And at one point, someone took my hand, who I later met who it was, but took my hand and said, 
are, you know, said something about asking if I was okay. And I was like, I am so okay. I'm better than okay. I'm 100% okay. I'm better than okay. Because it was just a cathartic uh, release. It wasn't yes. me like, oh my God, my <laughs> life is fucked. Oh, you know, I was, yeah. I was just releasing things that I had been suppressed. One of the things I also realized is that relationship with my wife, we're around each other all the time. We, I haven't had, I, I, in fact, one thing I learned, not to go off on too many tangents, but I learned from Rhythmia that I used to have rituals of my own to stir up the motions inside. Now I did it with alcohol and watching, like I'd watch Pink Floyd the Wall. I'd watch things that, that affected me emotionally and got me to cry and got me thinking about my brother and my sister and my mother. And I would do it regularly. And I haven't done any of those things because I've just been with this person all the time. And I think she's probably experienced the same, but for me, I need that catharsis and I haven't had it. And so years, and we've been together five years, so that started coming out. And that was like, whoa, what just happened? This is powerful. I want to learn more about it. Because if someone like me, who's a true, like, uh, I'm a hard person to convince. I'm very, you know, I'm not quite this way as much after Rhythmia, but I'm like, all right, you're full of shit. Let's see if you can convince me if you're, if, if yeah. I'm wrong. Yeah. I'm open to being convinced, but you're probably full of shit. Most people are. Yeah, man. I think you're a believer in the Socratic method. Like, prove it to me, and then we'll reverse engineer it, and we'll see if it's actually true. It's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So that was the first night, and then the plant medicine, the second, uh, the the second major night, or yeah. my third night there on Monday night. You know, I was there listening to Jerry give his talk. I, I thought he was a very compelling speaker, but he talked about physical healing occurring. Did not believe that. Talked about the miracle happening for people. Did not believe that. But I'm here, I'm open to it. And hey, do you want a miracle? Yes. Yeah. Don't we all? I'll take a miracle. I'll take a miracle. Besides the one that we're actually here. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. right? And, and you know, it's, uh, it's a very strong word. So first ceremony comes around. Everyone's nervous, even the people who had been there before. And there's two shamans, these two German chicks. And I'm like, ah, two white chick German women Mm -hmm. calling themselves shamans. Okay, yeah. Uh, Sounds like some hippie hippie bullshit to me. But I was there, drank the medicine. (laughs) I love how you explain this skepticism, dude. It's so great. (laughs) Yeah, and and, you know... uh, and I think it's warranted in most cases, but I was wrong. And I felt the power of what they did and going through that experience and drinking the medicine and how for those people listening who are like, oh, are you promoting drug use? No, we're promoting, or at least I'm promoting a ceremony where there's facilitation by expert, quote unquote experts, right? These shamans, now they don't have PhDs, but they have training from these these shamans that have been doing this for generations and they got training from their elders and so on and so on. And so they took us through this journey. And at first I was just feeling the medicine, feeling good, just enjoying the music because there's chanting, there's music and didn't feel much the first cup. The second cup, it started kicking in and you started hearing people getting a little weird. There was some laughing and stuff. But the third cup, I found myself to to keep this mostly about my experience because there's so much we could say, right? Yeah, I'm sure yeah. your experience was the oh, same. Yeah. But I found myself on the hammock outside, the one that 
has access to all the stars. I sat in one hammock. I'm like, the trees are in the way. And I found that one at the end that just, the night sky was so beautiful and, and vivid. And the moon was three quarters full with this big halo around it. And I was just taking in the majesty of the universe, the awe. I was just in awe of the universe. And I was rocking in the hammock. I felt like a chimpanzee, like I visualized a chimpanzee, like kind of hanging out in the tree with the leg hanging. I just felt like my in touch with my inner primate. Yeah. yeah. But during the rocking, that's when it started getting deep. So I started thinking about the rocking chair that we had when I was three, two, three years old, and my biological mother was rocking me and she was rocking my sister and it, and it was good. And then I started thinking about how uh, sick she was, how psychotic she was. And not from a like, oh, tra- it traumatized me. I was feeling her pain and I saw a, a, a vision of her. I didn't see hallucinations. Yeah, I didn't see anything that wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Sort of visualizations is what I had. Yep. And I visualized her and the vision of her, it was like a a, a person who was broken, who didn't look right, then the facial features were off. And I just felt, I was like, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with this fact, this, this broken mother, this psychotic mother that I had and, you know, and, and the pain that she was in? Because she didn't die in a car accident, Josh. I, I haven't really talked about this, but she in car accidents, you lose control, you hit something, you, you get killed. Uh, someone hits you, you get killed. She ran a police roadblock, no signs of breaking, ran into a tree and died instantly. And usually in traffic accidents, there's signs of breaking. And she died. And... I was supposed to go over there that week and my sister and I, I didn't want to go over there. It was traumatizing to be around her. She smoked all the time, which I actually learned recently. Schizophrenics smoke more because it helps them modulate their illness. And she was taking medication and she would do weird things. It was just, it was literally child abuse uh, or maybe it, literally it is, but it wasn't from a physical way she wasn't physically abusing us but being around her illness it was traumatizing yeah and i just didn't want to go even and this is me thinking about it years later this but is I was you this is you thinking time. about this on the hammock looking up at the night sky all this is coming through in that moment yeah like all these deep lessons are starting to kind of well up yeah and um you know in in the thoughts and, and everything just the mixture of the history and the symbolism and the feelings and uh she I just felt like, how do I handle this? Well, I handle it with love. It became the obvious answer, and it's something that you hear with everyone. You handle it with love, and I sent her love, and I gave her a hug, and I said, I just sent her my love. And and uh, it became very obvious that that's the secret, right? But I also started thinking about my dad and how much he had been through. And it was great because it wasn't about me and my suffering. It wasn't about my story. It was about other people, which I think is so important for healing or if you've been through something, you need to get outside your personal experience of what happened to me and why does this happen to me and how it affects me. You got to think about the other people involved. And uh, so I'm really grateful that that's where things went. But I started thinking about my dad and what he'd gone through. And I started making the connections between his physical body, how he's, he's 75, but he's really bad shape. 
and uh, I spent some time with him before coming there, and we had such a good time. I brought him a Buddha head from Chiang Mai and brought him these other things, but I, I, and we connected at, at a really great level that left him in such a high place before I, I, I left. And, uh, and so anyway, I thought about his pain and I saw him all broken and, and I realized, you know, everybody looks at me as a strong one because I work out and I do martial arts and all this stuff, the brown belt and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But I really realized I need to do that stuff. He didn't even need to. He's so psychologically strong that he has been just <laughs> tuckering, limp, literally limping along and dealing with it. But I started to realize maybe I haven't showed him that I loved him enough. Maybe, uh, maybe he still thinks I hold things against him because he made some bad decisions, a lot of bad decisions. Yeah. But I, re- I 100% sincerely don't hold anything against him. I want him to know that I love him and I don't want him to think of that. And I started weeping. And I started weeping uncontrollably and really weird. And I, I don't know if we really should talk about this too much uh, if you want to stay on my story, but you lead the way. But someone started laughing as I was weeping because I was crying pretty loud and it was science, uh, silent in the Maloka, the place where all the other people were. Yeah. And someone started laughing. And at first I was like, motherfucker, <laughs> I've been bullied. Are you laughing at my pain? Right, right. I, I am an expert at hurting people now. You know, not just, I will be happy to go and give you some pain so you can experience how a interesting, little bit. How interesting that, that you left the actual healing and the actual moment that you were in and got pulled and distracted by him. And, and really, how does medicine amplify who we actually are? It, yeah. Right? I mean, how many times in normal life do human beings, you included, get distracted from what's really important to you, what's actually aligned with you based on something that the universe or the world puts in our, our path to distract us? How funny is that? I, I think you're bringing up a, a really important point, and I'll tell you how I look at it. So in one, situ- in one way, he took me away from that. And just to finish the story so people don't think like yeah. I went over and like started You did not nonsense. kick this guy's ass no. <laughs> in, in the Maloka. I listened to, instead I checked in with myself. Do I hear hostility or bullying or any type of negative negativity directed towards me? And I didn't. And it was a powerful moment because I think sometimes I take things personally. And I'm quick to react like that because I'm like defensive. I was like, no, you're, nobody is going to hurt me anymore without getting hurt back, seriously. So I checked in and I was like, you know what? I don't sense any of that. I truly don't feel that. And then I started laughing. And you're saying something interesting. Sometimes we get distracted uh, from our own experience by some, what someone else is doing. And in that situation, I would make the the... The, the point that we're supposed to be affected by each other, that's why we're in a group. At least in this situation, maybe if I was doing it alone and maybe there's a certain situation where I will do something like that alone. But in this situation, we're together and they wanted us. They didn't want me on the hammock. They didn't want you outside. They wanted us together to affect each other. And he changed my state and I started laughing. And then I felt a connection with him. I didn't even know who it was. And uh, just to finish up the night, um, you know, I ended up sharing with people and it became a big thing. Like so many people came up and thanked me for sharing and they 
started talking about my story and just really, there was a lot of hugging and I was sharing it not from a place of seeking attention, but from just a catharsis. And also like, if any of this, if this can help you listening to this, then here it is, you know, and uh, I didn't sleep much that night. I woke up in the morning, I had to call my dad and I had one of the most beautiful conversations with him, you know, and we were just connected in a way that it just, I felt his heart opening up when he talked to me. And it was just a great conversation. He said, Ted, I've never felt like you blamed me for that. And I realized I've been, I've been good at, at showing love, but I feel like I haven't been good in communicating it because I think both are important. What you do is your actions speak louder than words, but both are important, I believe. Yeah. And so I just showered him with love, you know? And uh, we just had this beautiful conversation and it changed everything for me, that conversation. And it changed everything in my relationship with him. Man, Ted, you, uh, thank you so much for just being you, dude. And just for going through this learning soul soul school <laughs> soul school this world is great this world is kind of like a soul school isn't it yeah and uh, i i almost feel like what you've given people right now and i, I feel it in my chest man in my throat um is this permission it's like a huge permission slip you know the willy wonka the golden ticket like ayahuasca is not some panacea that's gonna heal the world with just doing ayahuasca nope. no but it is a ticket. It's a permission slip to feel what's actually true in ourselves and your connection to your father and like showering him with love and connecting with him. Oh man, this is what the world needs. And it's not about being a hippie. It's not about being in a cult. It has nothing to do with that. It's really about how quickly can we go to the truth and can we just live in that truth as much as humanly possible, whether it's through podcasting or through dancing. I don't know. what Whatever your dream is in life, can you just live there? And it's not exactly the easiest path, man. I think that's why so many people don't live a path of truth um, because there's a lot more fear. Look how much emotion is coming out of you right now. Like This is not an easy place to explore. I know that I'll go back to Rhythmia and I think it's going to be probably in the summertime of this year. And I'm maybe we'll go together. Maybe we'll go together. I, I would love that. Yeah. But I'm already I'm not feeling... going to lay next to you in the bed, though. That, that would be too, too much. Right. We, we get to have our own experiences. Yeah, um, yeah. But I'm already feeling this, this deep calling, this deep calling to have even more love with my mom, even more healing with my dad. I still have some work to do with my father, even more of a close, loving connection with my brother. And the final one for me, man, and it's actually one of the things that brought me out to, to Thailand was to really think about who am I as a man? Who am I as a human being? Who am I as Josh Trent? And what do I really have to offer um, to a beautiful, loving, connected woman? Yeah. You know, you shared that with me yesterday. Yeah. And this is, this is like a big piece of what I felt when I was at Rhythmia was there was the, there was the fourth night, which is like the biggest night there. And I'm standing by the fire and I had had a really bad uh, experience um, in about an hour or two before that because I made a mistake and I broke the sacred silence. You know, it's it's really a big deal when you're going through uh, ayahuasca journey to keep the sacred silence, to not talk to any other people. Hearing them is one thing, you know, because you can bounce energy off one another. But I made the mistake of going down this really dark rabbit hole because I broke the rules. 
Which and, you talk to people about. What the hell were you I, talking to I don't people even about remember, but I, but I basically, my personality is, is that I'm a connector ever since I was six. And so yeah. I wanted to like, I wanted to like make sure that that person was okay around me. Right. I think it just comes from just wanting to make people okay. So I took on these other people's stories and I took on their processing. But anyways, I let that go in this moment where I'm standing by the fire and the sun is starting to come up because it's like eight at night till eight in the morning. The sun is starting to come up over the horizon and I'm starting to feel renewed because when it's, you know, darkest, it's right before the dawn. And I was feeling very dark for a couple of hours. So I'm by the fire pit and I see the sun come up and I start to feel like this love and this trust, like, oh, everything's going to be okay. And right when I felt that, I actually felt kind of this out of body experience where I, I, I almost thought I was going to die for some point. And then I realized like, maybe this is actually what an ego death feels like. And I burped up this kind of like bubbly black looking thing. And when it popped, it was minority report, like Tom Cruise. It was all the different scenes of my life. It's, it's, it's surreal just to talk to you about it right now, because it was every memory I've ever had almost. And it was all splayed out on a, on a glass screen. And there was one specific memory of me being 13 years old at my house in La Mesa on White Place, as where we used to live on Broadmoor Drive in La Mesa. And there I am in my room and I see the, the cars. I used to love Mustangs and there was posters all over my walls. And I was 13 years old and I was just like sitting in my room in the dark, like crying because I felt so alone. I didn't have the tools to like make peace in my family. I, did, I, I didn't feel okay. And I like went to that moment and I put my arms around myself when I was 13 and I held myself and I was like, man, you, none of that was your fault. And that'll never happen to you again. And I got you. I got you from now on. That's beautiful. <laughs> and it gives me, uh, it gives me uh, a welling of emotion right now to talk about it because it's the things that happen in our childhood that we can use as adults to reconnect with the same love that brought you closer to your dad. It's that exact same love. And love doesn't always connect with science. Love and science are kind of at odds a lot in our current world. And I think that it's our respect and our work in both the love and the science, combining the two, that really leads to a great life. And I still have my work to do, man. I don't have it all figured out, obviously. But it's these moments of transformation that really just direct us back to love. And I think this is what I think the true catharsis is, is when we return to the love, all the other addictive thoughts that the monkey mind was clinging to, that shit just falls to the wayside. There's no room for it. There's no room for the monkey mind fear-based thoughts of, is this guy making fun of me? Does my dad actually love me? Is, you know, is my life going to work out? All these negative things that just weigh us down, those exit the physiology and the psychology because there's no room because love just fills up the whole container. And I'm just really curious how this is going to unfold for both of us in 2019. This is such a special moment because at the end of this year, I know we're going to check in again. And my sense, my sense is that all the relationships in my life are going to be enriched this year because I, I mean, if you would have told me we, you and I would have been having this kind of a conversation when I started Wellness First, I'd be like, hell no, are you crazy? Me too. I'm not going to drink yeah. ayahuasca in a jungle and talk about my emotions <laughs> and my heart space. Like I came from a training background in football where you'd throw dirt on it and get back out there. And like, <laughs> <you know? laughs> this, this is like a totally new experience uh. for me in life. But I'm realizing, Ted, like, and this is why I've had so much fun with you for this day in Bangkok. You and I, we can talk about silly things, crazy things, yeah. science-based things wellness things and then we can have a conversation like this that brings people to their knees of truth that's beautifully stated yeah i i just want to throw something in there you said that love and science are at odds and um 
the way I like to think about it is that the feelings, the experience, whether it's love or something else, realization, it's hard to quantify with scientific instruments. It's very subjective, but it's the most important thing, checking in with yourself intuitively and knowing that something is right, knowing that something, like for example, you and I both feel a certain way by doing this conversation, have, talking with each other and hanging out last night. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel amazing right now. Me too. Yeah. How do you quantify that scientifically? I don't think there's any tool to do it. And there, I don't think there's a need to. I don't think there's a need to. There, there's not a need to either. But for those people who are searching, um, you know, science can be something that leads to, leads them to a place where, you know, they have something with more evidence showing the effectiveness. And I think that's a good thing. And I think what other people do as well is going by experience. However, some people are going to be more affected or more suggestible, like what Joe Dispenza talks about in You Are the Placebo. Yes. People who are more suggestible, they might go to a faith healing, get someone to lay their hands or get some Reiki and feel a lot from it. That's awesome. But we all need to find what works for us. And we all need to check in internally and not use uh, research paper or randomized controlled studies or someone, a guru telling us what to do. We need to check in internally because we have the answer. Nobody else. Everyone else is just a guide or giving some suggestions that could be good, that could be bad, but you, you have the answer. This is such a fantastic point. Um, I did a 10-day Vipassana two years ago, and at the end of it, Goinka, who's like the facilitator, the main guy who created it, the Vipassana, he said, just like anything in life, take what resonates with you and leave the rest. And Bruce Lee has said this in some form, I believe, yeah. as well. It's what, exactly what you're talking about. Because what resonates with me from a Rubik's Cube kind of a fit with my physiology, with my nervous system, with my mind, my heart, is going to be totally different than what resonates with Ted Rice. Totally different. And rightly so, because you're a different human being, different soul than I am. So the point that I'm getting at is, is I think when we look at what is true, what science says is true, it's true to a point. Mm -hmm. And it's true based on whatever variables were in their epidemiological study or what have you. I think what we're coming to now as a society is that whether you look at the sine wave of scientific growth and technology exponentially coming up, you can also see, and I feel this in a lot of different health and wellness and fitness circles, there is this sine wave of consciousness that's rising as well. And it gives me more than just hope. It gives me trust. It gives me trust that this world, our species, our society is going to expand our consciousness. And that's actually what's going to bring more abundance, more economic success, more peace, more interaction from this egalitarian way, man. We're meant to support each other. We are meant to care for one another. We're meant to be in a tribe. This is, this is why people resonate with your show, you know, because they want to be a part of this legendary life. They want to lead a legendary life or people that are in wellness force. They, they want to be a modern day wellness warrior because, man, this world is not set up for us to be anything but, you know, it's a very challenging world. We have distractions that pull us away from um, what you and I just talked about, this source of love. And I guess really what it means for me this year in 2019, man, is um, doing as much work as I can so that I'm taking care of myself, this this word selfishness, mm -hmm. it feels like selfishness can actually be a good thing in 2019. 
to be selfish. And I don't know what the Latin etymology is, but you know, to be selfish is like to, to truly take care of oneself. I don't think selfishness has to be a negative thing. Are you focused on anything that's really deep in self-care or self-work this year? Yeah, I, I want to do more of the work that I did at Rhythmia. I want to explore breath work. I want to go back to Rhythmia. I want to, uh, what, what I noticed, like, I, I think we're good. I mean, you can ask me more about what happened. It got weirder and crazier and sometimes very dark. And, um, you know, I've shared those if you're interested and we don't go in. You've done some today. really good videos on Facebook yeah. that, that I'm going to put in the show notes for this. There was a 45 minute one that you did. And that one after I held Rhythmia. back. I'm, I shared one that involved when I confronted my brother's killer on the second night. Yeah, let's let people watch that on the page. Yeah, yep. that's, uh, that's going to be a very uncomfortable, but I think necessary video for people to hear. Like yep. if you want to stop watching cat videos for a second. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to experience transformation from, from watching something that's very difficult, it's probably one of the hardest videos anybody will ever watch. I haven't even put it up yet. And, um, you know, and, and I, and part of me doesn't want to, because I'm like, um, even though I'll say whatever, I'm not afraid. The, the only thing I have issues with are repercussions the things that can affect other people. But for me, like, you know, yeah. you're not going to do anything to me that I haven't, I've been through worse. You're not going to even come close with, oh, you're stupid or this was dumb or you're not, you're, you know, whatever you want to say to me, it's really not going to cut too deep. Yeah. So anyway, it, it's, I'll put it up, I'll share it with you and, and I'll let you be the judge. But it, like I said, I didn't even want to put it up. And that's why I was like, you know what? I, I need to put it up. Yeah. Just like I, I needed to go to Rhythmia when I felt that fear. Can, can we talk about this one piece? Cause it relates to not only our conversation, your work, and just, I think all of our work as human beings is this kind of swinging pendulum of when do I share and speak my truth versus when do I hold back? Because maybe my truth spoken out loud in a moment doesn't necessarily serve the collective. And, and that for me has been a learning curve that I think maybe it'll just be a learning curve for my whole life. You know, when do I share? When am I oversharing? When am I sharing something that'll actually be a catharsis for someone else? Dude, I know, I know people hearing this are feeling it in their stomach and their chest and their heart. Multiple moments where you're, you've shared and I've shared this is why we're here as human beings is to help each other and to go through this healing and catharsis together. But when we look at the actual unfolding of this in life, I'm just not sure if there's ever going to be a template to operate of when do I share? When do I not share? I think it's just up to the human, you know? So should you post the video? I don't know. Do you feel like you should? That's kind of the answer, isn't it? Well, I think the answer is this. Why are you sharing? Are you trying to get likes and comments and social? Because this, I don't, if it gets a lot of comments, it's going to be some really, it's going to be some stuff. It's not the type of thing, let me put it like this way, it's not entertainment. Mm. It's not like, hey, look, give me some likes and comments. And, yeah. and one thing I've noticed, by the way, just for people creating content and, and myself, I've been more authentic. I've, I've truly like we pay lip service to that word and say we're doing it, but I, I was not doing it to the level that I'm doing it right now. And so I think when we're being authentic and truly, truly, truly being it, 
we're sharing things not for seeking attention or for the likes or for, for the celebrity or whatever the payoff is. We're sharing it so that other people get something from it. And in, the, in this case, it's something where like, well, I don't know who's going to watch it or who won't, so I have to put it out there. I think when we're, when we're with a person, we need to check in. Like maybe they're sharing, someone's sharing a problem with you and you have the answer and you want to share it. Yeah. And it's like, well, is that what someone, is that what they really need or do they just need to be listened to? Or are they a person who just keeps coming back and just with their emotional vomit, you know, and they're using you as an emotional tampon is one of my, my psychologist <laughs> friend used to, to say, um, yeah. and she's a female, by the way, okay, a woman. Okay. Uh, not a guy like, oh, it's a music music. No, yeah. it's a woman uh, who came up with it. And uh, I think then it's up to you to kind of set that boundary and, and cut the relationship off. But if you check in and if it's authentic, if it feels like it's really coming out of making a difference, and I think you can know because you'll see the state change in the person. Totally. And if they, you don't see the state change, then what you did wasn't good, or maybe you shared it from an inauthentic place or, or a more self-serving. Being selfish is one thing. Being self-serving is another. I love that you brought this up, man, because I've been thinking about this in my own business, in my own life. Can I check in with that almost compass that you've described? Can I check in with my compass of, am I about to put out a piece of content that I know will get better marketing, more emails, more, more right. likes? And that's constantly a thing. And I think I think any single person that creates content for a living that actually helps other people, it's going to be this kind of um, octopus, almost really attractive uh, power that has to be modulated correctly because there's a power of putting out content and swaying people's opinion and getting something that a creator would want in a manipulative way. And yep. I think I love the way you said that. It's like check in with myself before I do anything at all. And am I doing this to truly serve other people? Well, if that's the case, then cool. If I'm doing this, whatever it is, even if it's a post of just my thoughts for the day, is that coming from me truly wanting it to affect somebody else in a positive way? Yeah. I think that's the ultimate barometer, man, the barometer of truth. And um, you have my promise and everyone listening, and I know you feel this way too. That's gonna be my ethos for the whole year. This is, that is a cool moment, man, because my whole ethos for this entire year is to be sharing authentically, vulnerably, just like we've done in this conversation. And even if it makes me feel uncomfortable, which is probably the best time to share, I'm going to be really mindful too, to not use the podcast or media to be where I just spew out my cathartic release either, mm. because I think there's an operating framework that gets to be taken into consideration of, and I see a lot of people doing this on social where they'll say, I had a really rough day today, and they'll just kind of spew for 20 minutes. And I don't think that's helping anyone. I think there's this... It's helping you. It's self-serving. Yeah, it might be yeah. self-serving. It might be yeah. helping the creator yeah. spew to their audience, and people might connect with it. But I don't know. I think different things resonate with different people, and that's maybe what Goenka was talking about at the end of the Vipassana. <laughs> so it's like people are listening to our conversation. Connect with the things that you connect with. And leave the rest, man. Because yeah. no, nobody's Ted Rice, nobody's Josh Trent. Like you, you are who you are, and I am who I am. I'm, uh, I'm really bummed. Actually, I'm gonna leave tomorrow, dude. I think the next time I see you, we'll spend a couple days together. Yeah, yeah, a little. We more. gotta make that happen somehow. We're gonna do this uh, breath work with Soma in March, and then I know there's gonna probably where's be an, that gonna be? It's gonna be in Southern California. It's gonna be in San Diego, oh, most okay. likely. 
And so this year, I would love to do some breath work with you. Uh, and actually just anyone. I, I think the world needs more breath work. I think there's a stair step. Uh, we talked about state change a ton in our show today. Like I I just have this sense that breath work can be the conduit or the key that that unlocks people's deeper exploration, whether it be plant medicine or something else. But I think anyone can breathe. I mean, shoot, dude, men, women, yeah. old, young. No excuse all, not to try that. All of us can breathe, man. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm really grateful for you as a friend. I'm really grateful for you as a creator that you're out there in the world doing your thing, man. I see how bright you're shining and I like how I feel when I'm around you. And I just really honor your path. I honor what you've created so far. And I'm just so excited for what you're going to create in the future, Ted. Me too, man. And thanks so much for, for saying that, for making the time to come over here. I just knew we had to connect. And uh, it was when I first saw you, I just was like, I just, from from the moment I finished Rhythmier, I was like, I need, when I see Josh, I'm going to give him the biggest fucking hug, you know, like what a gift. And I, I look up to you and what you do and your, your success at not just building up wellness force, but of, of you as a person and your ability, uh, you've really grown so much since I've known you and, uh, and me too. And we've grown together and just, it's just an honor to know you and, meeting you in person and hanging out. I just feel so connected with you, man. I just want to spend more time around you, brother. <laughs> you know? Man, you're giving me such a, a great feeling, Ted. Thank you for for just letting this happen. You know, we're here in your place in Bangkok. Like, I have no idea what's going to happen in 2019, but um, I don't know. I just feel better knowing that, that men out like you are out there and I'm really stoked for this year, man. So do you have anything else that we missed? I mean, is there anything else you want to explore? Uh, there's so much more. If you want to, if you want to hear more about me, go to my podcast and check it yeah, out. Legendarylifepodcast.com or yep. find me on iTunes, Legendary Life. And find me on Wellness Force too. Yeah. Wellness Force Radio for, for people, everyone listening from Legendary Life. If you're Life. not listening to Josh, you gotta, you, you really gotta give Wellness Force a try and see if it sits right w- with you. And, and for me too, if, if, uh, if today you're like, I love Josh, Ted, eh, it's okay. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. But look for the people who, again, check in with yourself. Look for the people who, that's the thing I would end on. Yep. Look for the people and the, the modalities, methods, the things that, that really cause that positive state change in you and do more of that. Oh, such a great way to end this conversation. Explore the states that bring you the results you've been wanting. And if the results aren't an A plus on your report card, just let them go. We don't, have to be, we don't have to be attached to anything this year or any, any time, but especially like this, it's a big year, man. I have this sense that 2019 is going to be a really massive year. And I love you, bro. Thank you for who you are and everything. Love you too, man. Hey, my friend, thank you for hanging out and growing with me today. Everything you learned on this podcast starts with your morning practices. So from over 200 world-class guests and counting, we've distilled the gems, the best of the best science-backed practices down into a 21-minute morning system guaranteed to increase the positive flow in your day. Get this free and powerful 21-minute life-changing system over at wellnessforce.com forward slash m 21 If you enjoyed this episode, tap your phone, share it with someone you care about because that is how we all get better together. Supporting the show is easy. Leave us a five-star review right now from your phone. It helps us reach other smart and conscious people like you. Either tap your phone and hit the link in purple 
that says review this podcast or go to wellnessforce.com forward slash review. And this show doesn't stop here. We're continuing the discovering process in our private Facebook group. You can be a part of it. All you have to do is go to wellnessforce.com forward slash group and I'll welcome you at the door. Okay, now you get to go out into your world and live your life well. So until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness 